You're listening to RevOps FM with Justin Norris. In revenue operations, there's a common expression about delivering the right message to the right person at the right time in the right channel. As operators, we tend to focus a lot on the systems, process, and data parts needed to accomplish that. The message part often seems like somebody else's problem. But I think that we don't pay enough attention here because the message is what's being delivered. That's make or break. And if we don't understand our prospect or if we're saying something that they find confusing or that they think is irrelevant, nothing we're doing is going to work. We're wasting a lot of time. So today I brought on the smartest guy I know when it comes to -to go-to-market messaging, Mitch Solway. He has been a five-time VP of marketing at companies like Lavalife, FreshBooks, Vidyard, ClearFit, where Mitch and I actually worked together. He was my boss for a couple of years. And today he runs Think Mitch Think as a fractional CMO for startups. So we're going to see some of that thinking today. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Justin. And no pressure there. (laughs) No pressure at all. Mitch, I'm so glad we could talk because you're someone that I have turned to throughout the years, both when we worked together and since And I always just love putting ideas in front of you because you really do think it through. You challenge things. And I love just watching how your mind works through these problems. So excited to have this conversation. And I guess we'll start it out with an easy one. I like to kind of go back to first principles because people use a lot of these terms like my messaging, my positioning, my copy, my tagline. And it's all sort of confusing. So I'm just wondering for you, what's the hierarchy of the message and how does it get expressed through all those different forms? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's funny because I really specifically try to avoid getting in conversations or defining all those things because you can sometimes get lost in their purpose. So, you know, I've been thinking about this and having done this enough times where I really start is I start at the end. So what's the outcome that I'm trying to produce that could generate success? And then once you kind of know what your ultimate goal is and what something should look like and feel like when it's successful, then you kind of reverse engineer, okay, well, what are all the things in my way of getting to that thing? And that's where things like your copy and your messaging and positioning play key roles. But if you start at the beginning and saying, well, let's go from the process starting with positioning, because even it goes positioning and then messaging and then copy, you still might not know once you're at the end, like, is that right? Is that even any good? So having a good idea of, what a good result looks like, then you can go back and go through the process to try and get there and evaluate, has my positioning done what it needs to do to get me to that point? I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, Knack. You know, I love marketing automation software, but let's be honest, the email and landing page builders are usually terrible. You can't make it nice without a developer and marketers are going to find a way to break things or go off brand. You do not have time for that. So Knack is totally different. You set the guidelines and then give your users a building experience that's slick, modern, and beautiful. When they're done, everything goes to your map at the push of a button. And don't worry, it supports global teams, approval workflows. It's got your integrations. So head on over to revops.fm forward slash NAC, that's K-N-A-K, and get a special offer just for my listeners. And then now I can deal with the messaging and you're continually evaluating those things against an end result. And for me, the end result is there's two stories because I work with early stage companies and a lot of the companies I've worked with are doing something new and different in the market. So I'll call one the narrow story. And the narrow story is like, I draw the circle, I say, there's your can't miss customer. So we have to know who's that because you're building a product, you work with a founder, you've got this passion and energy, and it's usually not about, I just want to make a bazillion dollars. They're really trying to solve a problem. And if we get to the heart of, well, whose problem are we really trying to solve? 
and where if that person came in and bought and used our product, they would be so happy. And then for us, we would be so happy because A, they're going to love our product and tell everyone about it. And financially, they're going to pay us for that because it delivers so much value. So that's end state from an acquisition point is I'm in the business of attracting the best possible people to my product and service. And then in order to do that, I have to understand everything about this person. Yeah, so I call this, is this you marketing? And it's not saying this is who we are and this is what we do, but I need to say, you know, is this you? If I'm gonna tell you a story, I'm gonna describe a scenario. And if I know you really well and I know your world, I'm gonna describe you to a T and say, look, if this is you and you're struggling with these things and this is driving you nuts, and you really want to find the answer to something, well, we can help. And a good messaging and copy will do a really strong job at helping your ideal customer that can't miss customer identify themselves in your message and go, oh my God, this is me. That's the narrow messaging outcome that I want. I just want to comment on one thing that stuck out to me because it's really obvious mm -hmm. when you hear it, but it's not something I've seen in practice, mm -hmm. I think as much as it should be, which is the focus on the person and like, what is that person's world? What pains are they experiencing that you can solve for them? And just going deep there. And it's like, yeah, of course, but everybody starts talking about themselves, like our product, blah, 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 like, you know, AI, ABM, blah, 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 blah. Like it's all that. That's a great point is we don't tell our customer's story enough. When I do consumer research, it's really pivotal. And when I go and I start an interview and I reach out to customers, I set context for them. And I say, listen, you know, if I'm working at ClearFit, I call up our customers. I said, look, you know, I work at ClearFit. ClearFit is 100% of my world. It's what I think about all day. But you're a customer and ClearFit probably only represents, you know, like 5% of your world. So today I don't really want to talk all that much about ClearFit. I want to know like the 95% of the rest of your world. And then I want to know how our 5% fits into that. You know, you start the question and you, you have to start being curious, authentically curious about how you fit into their world. Because sometimes you think you're solving the most important problem and you realize like, oh my God, like we're so relatively unimportant in their day to day, but we do serve a job. Like they've got really important things to do. So if we can save you a little bit of time that helps you do some really important things, or sometimes like this is like the most brutal problem that they need to solve. Like, yeah, sure. This is a 5% of my time or 10% of my time, but like when I'm doing this, it's so important. And so it's really good framing. And I would encourage people, if you really want to get good consumer insights, you really want to be able to reflect those stories is when you talk to existing customers and you talk to obviously customers that represent the kinds of people you want to bring more of, your job is to hear their story. And then what you do is once they tell you their story, you know, why are you in this company? Why are you in this job? You know, what keeps you up at night? What are your goals for the year? And then They'll naturally tell you how they found your product and what the problem was. Like, well, what, you know, what was the one thing that happened that you decided, oh my God, I need to get something like Clearfoot, right? But they'll probably tell you. And then your job as a marketer is like, how do I translate, you know, these customer stories back to the rest of the market? Cause I already know these are, they're super happy customers that fan their way into our product. They love what we do and we're serving them really well. It's like, oh my God, I just take that gold and throw it out to the market and say, well, is this you? You know, is this a similar story? Are you experiencing a similar thing? Because I can confidently tell that story because I've heard it a million times and I can confidently make you a promise that I can solve that problem and have such a high confidence 
that when you use the product, you're going to be happy. I always love when I hear you express these things because it all just like seems really simple. Like simplicity is one of your hallmarks for me. I'm like, oh yeah, it's just that easy. Like it's never that easy when I've participated in these things, but... To hear you talk about it, it's it's super easy. What was the second story that you wanted to share? So there's a second story that brands need to tell. I call this the wide story or the broad story. And you don't have to be as laser focused in terms of your targeting on this one. But a lot of the times, if you're introducing something that's relatively new to the market, one of the worst things to get people to engage with your product is to tell them about your product. And you can also do a really good job of telling them, you know, is this you? But there's this higher order because you're also trying to build the category. You have to start educating people about your business and creating context for them to start to think about their work in a way. But maybe they haven't thought about your solution at all. You know, I'll give you a couple examples. So at Vidyard, we came up with this concept as we're a video marketing platform. And it meant nothing. Like there's no narrow anything because no one's Google searching for video marketing platforms. So we had to tell a bigger story to get people to start to think about, and I said, how do we get people to think about the world in the same way that we do? And we can lead their thinking. So we started to create this narrative that video content is going to be massive in the world of content marketing. And this is sort of, uh, you know, let's say easily over 15 years ago when content marketing was really the hot thing and it just started going, video was still very expensive to produce, but we wanted to create the belief and what I call it's the inevitable future, right? Inevitably, look, here's what's happening. Video viewership is booming and you can collect all the data. So here's the story. It's like, here's what we know. Today, more and more, everyone's watching video. It represents probably 10 to 20% of everybody's content strategy. But in five years, it's probably going to represent 80% of people's content strategy. And without a way to properly analyze and understand how your video content is translating into sales and revenue, you're going to be screwed, right? Like you're going to, it's be really important. <laughs> you know, we can track and measure our blogs and our SEO and all the other content, our eBooks and whatever, but no one knew how to track and measure video content. And so... We needed to tell a story of the inevitable futures. The future is so much of your content is going to be on video. And if you're not able to measure and, and track how that video content is driving sales and revenue, then you're just going to be in a tough place. So that's why we created Vidyard. An interesting thing about Vidyard is we had a very low budget when I started. We had like $5,000 a month to spend on marketing. So the other thing in telling your broader story that I would encourage people to think about is where have you got leverage? We knew that the content marketing thought leaders, they're well ahead of the rest of the market. And we had no audience at Vidyard. We had no credibility. The CEOs and the co-founders, they've been doing like video infomercials or video storytelling and video ads for, for companies, but they had no credibility in the B2B world yet. So what we did was there was a content marketing conference going on in New York City. I went there with our videographer and there were three keynotes that were given. One was Joe Polizzi, one was Lee Odin, and one was Ann Handley. And these at the time, I mean, and they're, they're all still big in content marketing. These are legends in content marketing. And then this isn't the peak of their popularity. I didn't know them. They didn't know us. But we went there with our camera and a microphone. And as soon as they were done their keynote, they would walk out. And I'd be there in the room outside of the auditorium. And I'd walk up to them and I'd say, you know, hey, I'm Mitch and I work for this company, Vidyard. You don't know me. You don't even know what we do. But we're this video marketing platform. Would it be okay if we just did an interview with you for our blog? And they all said yes. And Anne was really funny because she said, 
no, this is really insulting. I'm like, oh my God. And, she's, and then she smiled and I knew she was just pulling my leg. So I asked them three questions in the interview. The first question was, you know, what's the future of content marketing? And they would tell me, like, they just drop all these truth bombs, the vision of where things were going. And then my next question was, where does video fit into that? Right. And of course, oh my God, video is like going to be so important, blah, 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 blah. And then the last question is, what are some practical, tactical tips that people can use to, to think about their video strategy? And what we did was we had like the world's worst blog. It was terrible, but we had a vision that we wanted to create the leading blog and destination for people to learn about video marketing. And so what we now had was three of the major influencers that had told a story that the future of marketing looks like this and video has a huge role in that. And we put these videos together and they all had massive social followings. And so, yeah, we could post it to our social feed, but they all posted it to their own social feeds, got tons of coverage, and we got so much inbound traffic from just sharing those posts that we had instant credibility. Nobody knew who Vidyard was, but these three influencers were talking to us. And we weren't even telling you that video was important. You had the industry leaders telling you that video was important. So when businesses think about, I'll call it the broad story or the wide story or the narrow story, the narrow story is really important. And it's really, although it's getting more difficult to measure, it's where marketers spend most of the time. But the real magic is in the broad story where you're really trying to influence the market to start to see the world in the future the way you see it. And that's really bigger context setting. Did that at Vidyard, very much the same thing at Lava Life where we had to make online dating something from something you didn't talk about to something that you could talk about. Marketers today, they're so used to multi-million dollar budgets, big spend on channels to think about one person, a videographer, a conference, and how you were able to use leverage to convert that into something yeah. really big. And strategic an awesome questions, story. like, you know, we set them up so they could look good. I didn't say, you know, why could someone use a video marketing platform, right? I just got them to validate that video is going to be so, so important, which is what we needed people to believe. So we want to start them thinking about, holy crap, like this is going to be really important. And touching on Vidyard again, because I remember we used Vidyard actually really early on, I think maybe even before you joined or just when you joined there, but before you had come to ClearFit. And it was kind of SMB oriented mm -hmm. in terms of its positioning. And then by the time you had left, it had changed. It was now much more enterprise focused and people who are using marketing automation mm -hmm. systems, which seems to tie right into what you're saying around, you want to use video, but you need to be able to track it and prove its ROI. Mm -hmm against sales and revenue. Was that you leading that process? What was the, like the key insight that led you down that path? So if we go back to the narrow story on Vidyard. So for me to get to that end point where I can say, is this you? The real litmus test is, can I get you from no context to being so excited about what we're doing in like three questions? I call it the context roller coaster, right? It's like, if you could take someone on a thrill ride, I call it, you know how, you know how, and you know how, you know how this is like this, and you know how this is like this. At the very top of the curve, I call it it's the apex of context. So, you know, when we were at a conference at Vidyard and people would come up to our booth and they'd say, well, what is Vidyard? What do you guys do? And I would say, well, before I tell you that, can I ask you three questions? And they go, sure. I say, do you guys produce a lot of video content? Oh my God, we produce a ton of content. And like, do you guys use any marketing automation software like Eloqua or Marketo? Because we had integrated with these things. We're like, oh yeah, we use Eloqua. And like, do you know what the ROI of that video content is? Like, oh my God, we have no idea, right? So I could have asked that question different ways. Like, you know how you're probably spending a lot of money on video content? Yeah. And like, you know, you're using Eloqua and Marketo, of course. And But you know, you have no idea what the ROI of that video content is. Oh my God. So I'm taking you out the roller coaster and I'm setting you up to go, 
Now they're kind of leaning in. They're going, yeah, I do this. And yeah, I've got that. And yeah, I have no idea. And what I've done is I've got them from having no idea and not giving a crap really about what we're, they probably just came by to say, you know, to be nice and say, hi, how are you? What do you guys do? To now being like, oh my God, yeah. Like, okay, tell me, like, what does you do? Because, and then it's really easy to say, oh, we're a video marketing platform that lets you actually take your video viewership data and pump it into your Marketo or Eloqua instance. And that's all we needed to say. We didn't even need to say what you would do with that data because they knew, right? And they're like, this is amazing. And so it's the three question test. Can you ask three questions or can you present like, you know how this and you know how this, I mean, you can go on forever and someone will probably explode. Like, I like to think you're inflating a balloon for someone is like, they're filling up where you've got them to the point of like, you've told them and you, you've drilled down on those pain points, the challenges they didn't even know were possible to solve to the point where they already know kind of what you do before you've even told them. Because you said, well, all these things, that's why we created Vidyard to solve all those problems. And then you take them down the ride with your example, 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 like here's how we do that, right? We can pump all that data into your Marketo or Eloqua instance. Obviously you can feed those analytics in terms of who's watching your videos and for how long. And then you can tailor and customize all your outbound and your follow-ups or your websites or your sales agents will know when they send an email to someone with a video link, they'll know which one's opened it, which one's watched, and then so they can follow up. Or we know what videos they watched on your website. So when you reach out to a customer, you're going to know what products they were interested in. Like they knew all that because they use marketing automation tools. Like they, they know how to use data intelligence. They had no intelligence on video. So that became the formula for a messaging strategy is how do we let someone know very quickly that you can go from having no information to just getting all this data turn that data into better decisions and turn that into more revenue. It's kind of a superpower, like the ability to connect with someone, take them from indifference or perhaps even like, you know, at a conference, you really kind of want to stay away from people. You don't want to be accosted and drawn into these things. So to go from that defensive posture to bring people to a place where they're actually excited about hearing what you have to say, it's kind of a magical thing. Yeah. And or not, like I, in three I, questions, if they go, do you do a lot of videos? Like, well, not really. Okay, well, do you use Marketo or Aloqua? No, you know, so then I'll just still tell them, oh, we're a video marketing platform and we help companies. I don't even tell them how it works. We typically work with companies that are spending a lot of money on video content and just have no idea what that ROI is and they really need to understand. To me, this is the test. The questions is like a psychology trick. And if it's not a trick, it's like, how do I get someone from no context to fully engage context in three questions? Then you know, you kind of found the nerve center that you need to touch on to get people to want to then be in action, to lean in and, and to start to learn more. Then they'll go, oh my God, well, tell me more about this. And then we can talk about the 53 other features that we have. But I know that those are all going to be gravy on top of the main core problem. One of the main things I've been working on in my current job since I joined 360 Learning mm -hmm. is an outbound motion. Mm -hmm. And you really see this so clearly in Outbound because you are just showing up uninvited in somebody's inbox and you're either going to be spam or maybe there's a faint glimmer of a hope that they will see some relevance in what you're saying and read on and then maybe decide to give you a reply. But for me, it was really a learning process of, you know, your first drafts of stuff there, at least for me, they're very product focused, why we're so great and all the <laughs> things we do. And then realizing, no, they need to see themselves in what I'm saying or else it's completely irrelevant. It's just noise to them. Yeah. Like we care about what we're doing, right? I know how much of my time I spend thinking about the business and I'm working on. And we use Marketo, right? We use Salesforce. I mean, how much time do I, I mean, you spend a lot of time thinking about them because you worked on them, right? But 
I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that, but we use that software. So, you know, thinking about our own buying processes, we know we've got a bigger job to do. And when we buy software, we buy products, they're just a fraction of what our world represents. So most people don't really care about what you do. What they care is what they need to get done and what they're pressured to deliver. And ClearFit was another good example. We had so much fun at ClearFit because hiring was so painful. Before this, I was looking back at our ClearFit messaging and there were some subtle changes that we made. You know, at first we talked about it's the fastest way to find and hire the best employees. And after talking with customers, I talked to a whole bunch of them as I found out that it wasn't about hiring the best people. A lot of our customers are trying to hire more blue collar types of workers to work in their plants and manufacturing, maybe some admin jobs, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, product marketers and CFOs and all that kind of stuff. So they were saying like, we would hire people and they just, they wouldn't even show up for work. I don't need them to be the best. I just need them to show up and be successful in their job. And so the fastest way to find and hire employees that succeed, change it from the best employees. We used to talk about the best employees. We talked about our crazy technology and the analytics and whatever, and nobody cared about that. Once we found out that what they really cared about was hiring just employees that would succeed. And then the other thing we learned, particularly for our smaller customers, it was often like the boss of the company that didn't do the hiring. They asked someone else. I don't know if you remember our radio ad that we did about, do. hey, Rob, the boss comes in and radio ads are great because you get to tell like a real story that your customers tell you about. He goes, okay, team, business is booming. So we got lots of stuff to do. And you know, Barb, you're going to do this. And Steve, you're going to do this. And Bob, you've got the most important job at all. Bob don't goes, say hiring. Don't say yeah, hiring. Don't, don't say, say hiring. Don't say hiring. <laughs> Please, anything but hiring. goes, hiring. You know, we need to go find and hire the right people for the job. And he's like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do? Right. And then we just went on to basically say, we know, like, we know that's how you feel. And so many times, even if you are the boss, you still like feel like, oh, my God, I have to hire again. And it's like, all I do is fail at hiring. And we knew they didn't know how to write job descriptions. So he said, hey, need a job description? No problem. Just, you know, one click, you'll have one done. You know, need to post it to job boards. We knew that was the next fear. It's like, no problem. We'll instantly send them to all the job boards. And then, you know, need to know who to interview? Like, we'll instantly tell you who's most likely to succeed. And for all the crazy analytics and scientific things that we did that were really amazing, most of our customers didn't actually care about that. They just cared about the pain around no one wants hiring to be hard. You know, we were competing a little bit with ZipRecruiter at the time. And I remember reading that, oh my God, ZipRecruiter just raised $80 million. <laughs> and they were competing with us on the radio. And the next thing you know, they're outspending us like easily 10 or 20 to one on the radio. It really forced us to rethink about our messaging because if we're talking about, you know, posting your jobs to job boards and getting all these applicants and making that really easy, it just wasn't as relevant anymore because ZipRecruiter sounded like they were really pumping about how many applicants you could find really, really quickly. But what we did that is it forced us and me to really lean into like, oh my God, what am I going to do? These guys are like going to crush us is we went back and we refined the message to even further distinguish what made us different. And we sort of used ZipRecruiter's messaging against them and started to say, you know, when it comes to hiring, the last thing you want is to have this huge stack of resumes to sort through. Because we also knew that was true as well. It's like people would say, oh my God, I post jobs and people email me a gazillion resumes. They hated working through the stack. But our original messaging didn't deal with that problem because they hated all the things before that. So we said, you know, the last thing you want is a huge stack of resumes to sort through. That's why ClearFit is the only service that will instantly identify who's most likely to succeed so you know exactly who to follow up with. 
And while we didn't change the messaging, we just changed the priority of the value. And we reframed it against, hey, if you're thinking about using ZipRecruiter, think twice because ZipRecruiter is going to fill your inbox with a gazillion resumes. And then what are you going to do? Right? Then you're going to be, oh my God, like, do I really want this? No. Well, we're going to actually tell you, you know, who's going to succeed and the folks that you should follow up with. And that was just another good example of, you know, going from freaking out to, you know, if you think about how my mind works, it's like, how can I still sharpen my pencil and create a compelling message? And how do I know my customers so well that I'm going to be hyper relevant for them? And turning their strength, ostensible strength into a weakness. So let's say you were starting with a blank page, Mm -hmm. you know, new company approaches you, they're a startup, maybe they don't even have their messaging Mm -hmm. framework yet. They're just getting into the market. What's the process that you go through? And that's a great question. And, and I have a really clear process that I go through. It first starts with internal interviews with the key stakeholders in the business. The first thing I need to understand is what do you think the key challenges of the business are? I'm just looking for the degree of consistency or inconsistency across the leadership team, or there's no leadership team who are the key people in the company. And are they all articulating the similar challenges or different challenges? Or when I ask them, you know, what do you think our business is really in and who should we be talking to? If there's consistency or inconsistency, that will give me a bit of a measure in terms of how much work there is to do. Because the first order of business is going through the positioning exercise with the whole leadership team or any of the key stakeholders. 90% of the value is about internal alignment. Because I say, listen, if we can't agree, if we don't even understand who we are and how to talk about our business and why people should buy us, how are we going to expect any customer to know, right? So... The first order of business is get your own house in order. And I use April Dunford's framework in her obviously awesome book. I used to do positioning on my own. I didn't engage other people in it because I knew how to get there. But her framework is so good for me to use to just involve everybody in the process because you get everyone in a room and we agree on certain things. Everyone thinks they're competing with other software, but you're usually competing with the status quo, right? Your number one job, even at FreshBooks, it was always about people using Word and Excel. And 10 years later, once there's a gazillion online invoicing softwares out there, you know, 90% of our customers came from Word and Excel. So aligning to what are people going to use today if they weren't using anything? Who's our target audience and what really makes us different? You go through this process where everybody gets aligned. And what you've done is you created these guardrails because at an early stage company, there's so many things you could do or you could be. And this is really all about decision making. And when you do it together as a group, everybody gets to participate and everyone's part of the process. So when you get to the end, everybody feels part of the process. And when you produce the result of here's what we agreed to, here's who our ideal customer is, and here's our unique points of difference, and here's the value it creates. And it's not a messaging strategy or anything, but everyone now has a common and shared understanding of the key things that we actually need to align on. So that's my first order of business. However, before I do the positioning, I do the internal interviews and then I ask them, do you have any customers today that represent kinds of customers you want to get more of? Because I want to talk to them. And as I told you, I want to know their story. And I'll go and I'll do that work myself. And that just requires really good questions, a real curiosity. I've done enough of these that I know how to direct those conversations where I get the stories. And it's just my own, you know, maybe you can use AI to compile those things and deliver the key insights. But I just use my own 
listening skills and listening for cues and similarities. I used to say, after you talk to three, maybe five people, you're hearing similar things, but I'll make sure that I bring and share that information. I'll write a summary of those interviews back to the rest of the group. So we have a shared understanding of what our target market characteristics are and what the real value is. I need to bring those to the table. And then once we've done the positioning, then it's a matter of like, oh, how do we translate that into a messaging strategy? And messaging is so much more than just you know, translating your positioning into something. You have to build in your brand and your tone. I worked at a company as a fractional CMO called Arboro, and they were doing something new and different. And they're a company that would contribute up to $250,000 towards your down payment. They were solving a problem of, look, there's young professionals. They're making enough money that they can afford a mortgage. They just don't have, you know, if I'm going to buy a million dollar house, if you're lucky now, say a $2 million house, I need $400,000 of down payment. Who has $400,000 saved up in even your early 30s? Nobody has that. I was out there in the market. I think I posted on Facebook. Hey, does anyone in my network know anyone that's thinking about buying a home, but they're struggling with some things, in particular the down payment? I'd love to talk with them. I would just go out and we'd have a coffee. They'd tell me about the challenges. They'd tell me, yeah, a down payment is the real blocker for me. So identify that it's a real problem for them, that that's the only thing really getting in their way. And of course, prices in Toronto have gone crazy. So that's a whole other thing. But at this time, prices were high, but they could still afford the mortgage. They just couldn't do the down payment. And as soon as I introduced the concept, the number one reaction was, okay, you're going to give me 250,000 bucks towards my down payment. What's the cap? How are you going to screw me? Because this is what people expect, right? It's too good to be true or anything about lending money is never in favor of the buyer, right? The good news is that the company itself, the founders and everyone there, like they authentically were building something that was for the customer. We wanted to find a new way that wouldn't have people go into debt and that would give them access to capital that they would never have. We had a, a really good message. I usually start for my messaging, rather than getting creative, if I don't know what to do, I just go literally. And it started, there was a tagline I came up with is, don't let down payments get you down. Because we knew it was just like, oh, I want to buy a home, but the damn down payment. And just came up with the subline is like, we can contribute up to $250,000 towards your down payment. And then added, you know, no monthly payments and no interest, which sounded a little salesy, but it was provocative enough that people would go, oh my God, that sounds great. But like, there's no way it's true. So the whole tone of our messaging, though, needed to be warm and friendly. And we even had a, in our top nav, like, what's the catch, right? And we just took it on and we said, like, there is no catch. Like, this is how it works. And we had to explain it to people. But when we crafted the message, we had to be very mindful of understanding, again, that our customers' initial reaction would be, it's too good to be true. How are you going to screw me in this? And the good news is we were authentically, genuinely caring people that were actually doing this to favor the buyer. And there was a way that buyers, homeowners can win and the lenders can win. Like there's something in this for everybody. And so part of the messaging needed to have a tone that created some inviting and the, the visuals, and the brand and look and the feel. And they told them more than anything, once we get people on the platform and buying homes with us, we need them to tell their story. Because again, it's a kind of thing where I'll believe it when I hear it from someone in my network, when I hear real homeowners tell me that working with this company was like right from day one, they were so nice and they were so kind and they were so helpful. And they used all the words, like we had to deliver an experience that was not what they were expecting, but what we knew would win us business. The first thing was they really cared and they helped us through everything. And there was no pressure. They were so helpful. We found the house we wanted. They were so fast. Like it felt like we were serving them. 
rather than them being beholden to us. And so that, I don't know how to describe that in a messaging strategy, but there's a level of tone that needs to get baked into what you do that matches where your customer needs to meet you. That's a real important part of the strategy. So you're looking for those cues when you're doing the customer interviews. The thing that stands up for me, and you mentioned using AI to process some of these transcripts or conversations, and maybe there could be some efficiency gain from doing that. But it really seems to me that it's not mechanical what you're getting from these conversations and this research. It's a deep emotional and psychological understanding of these people that then doesn't just translate into a message, but like you said, it translates into the tone, the brand, the experience that you're delivering on so many different facets. And it just seems like that is a deeply human, in many cases, maybe happening underneath the level of your conscious awareness, how those connections are being formed seems you would miss so much if you did not have the direct human contact to learn it's those true and, and and one thing i've learned is i really love the process of discovering that consumer insight and i mostly love it because i know that it's gold but i also know that not everybody knows how to get there so you hear a lot of people talk about talk to your customers consumer insights but you know you need a special type of brain that knows how to ask the questions, that knows how to listen for the cues, then can turn those cues from just listening into, oh my God, I found the gold here. Just like we had this customer month, right? Where once a month we'd invite a customer. That was something you were responsible for. Let's find one of our customers, bring them, put them on a big video screen in front of the whole company and have them tell everybody their story. And I remember looking at everybody, everyone's eyes. Once we understood what they were really facing with every day, like how busy these people were and how important our app was in terms of just helping them just get their job done, people go, oh my God, that was amazing, like inside the company. But if you asked any one of those people to go and talk to a customer, they would never get that level of insight because they're not engineered. I mean, that's not their superpower of knowing how to get them there. I would encourage anyone to try this much as you can bring that into the company. You will significantly transform how everybody in the company thinks about their job and like, what am I really doing here? What value does this really bring? One is it's amazing to hear customers say how much they value your product. It pumps everyone up like, oh my God, this is amazing. They're saying like, this is like, I don't know what I would do without ClearFit. But then to realize that, oh my God, these are really busy people and what role you play for them is it just gives you context that, that everyone's missing. Yep, totally agree. And I remember those customer discussions. They were really emotional experiences sometimes because you would have small business owners. Remember one guy was like, I don't know whether next week, like I'm going to be bankrupt or I'm going to be, you know, on top of the world. Like my cash flow is here, there. And like, you know, you just really get to the heart of that. And I want to ask one final question, actually, kind of coming back to us working together and actually a way that you, I think, really factored into my personal growth. But I remember a conversation we had at one point, and this was at a phase in my career where you know, it was really learning about automation, all the things it could do, technology. It was a lot of fun for me. And I was finding it all very interesting. And I would use that word a lot. And at one of our meetings, you said, Justin, I want you to think less about what's interesting and more about impact. And it kind of stung a little, actually, when you said that. And it stuck with me for a while because it made me kind of question, like, how am I wired in this way? And I've kind of had to rewire myself in a lot of cases to be like, my interest in these things can't be academic. It can't just be like, this is cool. It has to be focused on what does the business actually need? And I think that is the orientation that operations needs to have. The point of that story is to get to the question of how do you develop this impact focus in yourself? Is this just inherent? Is it something you cultivate? Where does it come from? Well, there's a few things. And first of all, thanks. I read a post the other day of someone saying, when you give feedback, you know, it's it should sting a little bit, right? Because I think stinging feedback, if it's coming from a good place, 
when it stings, you kind of know it's true, right? So everything hurts at the first time. It's like, oh, so kudos to the people that can take the sting and then move on, right? And then say, well, now what do I do? So I'll say the first thing is I love the intellectual curiosity that people have. So it's not impact over academic or intellectual curiosity. It's when you have both that the magic really happens. Sometimes you need people, like if you're in a creative space, you just need people to be creative or inventive and they'll never think about impact. And that's okay because not everyone has that orientation. But when you're building a team in a startup, everything's about results. Part of teaching people impact is not teaching people impact, but it's setting an expectation right from the job description and when I'm hiring people that you need to care about impact. And there's a time in your company where like, you don't need to care about, I've got impact. Like, I just need you to do this. But when you're small and you're growing, everybody needs to care about impact. So part of it is when you set an expectation, just like marketing, it's like, hey, do you care about impact? You know, are you someone that cares about, you know, if you wake up every morning and you want to know how many new customers came in? Like when you describe someone like that is you're describing someone that at the end of the day, they get their kicks because they see the impact of what they do. It's a different kind of high than just the high of like discovery. It's a high of really achieving something. You could tell I get excited about consumer insights and figuring all this stuff out. That whole process is so exciting for me. But, you know, part of it is because intellectually, I'm just so curious. I love understanding people and I just find it fascinating. But I also know it's exactly what I need to deliver the high standards. Like I have a big standard for myself. I got to create impact. Like otherwise, I'm like, what am I doing here? If I'm not creating breakthroughs and if I'm not solving big problems, then, you know, that's my superpowers. Give me like the toughest challenges that you need to deal with. Like, what are we doing? Who's our customer? How do we talk to them? How do we grow this business? And it's all about impact. At the end of the day, the payoff for me is when together as a company, we're just growing and doing great things and blowing through metrics and targets is great. I just, I find my way there through diving deep into the things that I really care about that I know can translate into massive growth. You talk to another marketing leader and they may have a different set of superpowers that will lead to impact. But this is just an area for me that I've just found overwhelmingly can lead to much faster growth, stronger company alignment around the things that work and actually longer brand health when you have a deeper understanding of your customer. Mitch, I know you got to go. We just want to say this was so much fun. So cool. Yeah, it's always so fun to see you think through this. And I just really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And if anyone wants to find me, you know, just search me up on LinkedIn just for Mitch Solway. And I'm always happy to meet new people and, and have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, we'll, we'll get links to your LinkedIn and your website in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, everyone. I want to invite you over to the RevOps FM Substack community, where you can sign up to get rough transcripts, show notes, longer form articles, and other bonus content. Just head over to revops.fm slash subscribe to get free access. I'd also love to know what you thought of the episode and to hear suggestions for topics you want to learn about. Feel free to leave a comment on Substack or send me an email at justin at revops.fm. Thanks for listening.